Good morning. How many of you uh, saw the pantomime this week? Give us a wave. Wasn't it fun? Uh, I hope that you went home singing, uh, and I hope that you went home kind of, uh, you know, doing all of the standard pantomime gags. Um, it was uh, an awful lot of fun, wasn't it? Uh, this morning, as I speak, I would like you to remember something. I know, before any of you point it out, I know that this is one with, a, with black paint on it, and the one in the picture is silver, but you'll cope for those of you that are real detail-focused. Um, this is what I'd like you to remember this morning. I would like you to remember the chair. As we uh, come to look at the book of Nehemiah, there is a real danger here, and I am going to send a note out to all of the other preachers for the next month, that what we do is we extract from this a bunch of things that are directly applicable to the rock project we have to start with the Word of God first and allow that to shape things and not the other way around. So I hope as we look at this text this morning, which we, are, we know is Tom's favorite book in the Bible, uh, that what we will do is we will discover riches in here that will help us as a church family, that will help us as individuals, and that will help us with the Rock Project. Before we kind of get into the detail of uh, what's going on in this particular chapter, I thought it might be helpful for you to have a little bit of context and a little bit of history. Uh, I know that whenever I look at a book like this, I have to start from scratch and look it up. So um, I've done that bit of homework, and I thought it might be helpful to share that bit of homework with you. Um, so the context uh, that we find ourselves in is that uh, the prophetic books in terms of Jeremiah and then going into Ezekiel kind of cover this period. They sort of bookend it and uh, the Jewish people are conquered by the Babylonians and taken into exile in 605. And um, uh, just a reminder, the numbers are counting backwards because they wouldn't have used this dating system because Jesus had not yet arrived. But we kind of count down. So 605, uh, and you can read about this in Daniel chapter 1, it's what Nehemiah, uh, Jeremiah prophesies about, and then it comes into being. And then there's 70 years in exile under the Babylonian Empire. And then after that, what happens is the Babylonian Empire falls to the Persians. Uh, you can read about this in Daniel chapter 5. And the new king, Cyrus, in 538, allows the Jewish people to return so that they can begin to rebuild. And in 536, that reconstruction of the temple begins. And in 515, uh, we read about it in e Ezra 6. 15 and Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of partner books. Really, they're one in the same. The rebuilding of the temple is finished. But then we come to Nehemiah, almost a hundred years later. Nehemiah is in the service of the king. In fact, he has that honored position where he's the cupbearer. 
a butler of the day, as it were. The one who carries the cup to the king for him to drink. An honored position, a close position. This would be the person who the king would say uh, to the cupbearer, well, you drink from the cup today, just to check that it wouldn't have been poisoned. Nehemiah, as someone who is still in exile, almost a hundred years after his people have gone back to rebuild, is in the service of a foreign king and is trying to do the job well. But when he gets the opportunity to hear news, Nehemiah is the kind of person who cared. He cared enough to ask about what was going on with his people in their home city. He cared enough to say, how's it going? Actually, he didn't need to do that. He was in a position of wealth and comfort and privilege and power, yet he raises his eyes to look beyond all of that to others. He cared enough to ask. And having asked, he hears about the plight of his people. He hears that the gates and the walls are not in a good state of repair. This means that as a city, the enemies can get in and cause whatever kind of rumpus they want to. The people are not safe. They're not safe to go about their business. They're not safe to worship. They're not safe to grow families. And on hearing this, Nehemiah cared enough to weep. His heart is captured for the people. But he also cares enough to pray. And Nehemiah's prayer is recorded for us. In fact, this book, although it's often seen as a leadership book and a book about buildings, this this book is littered with prayer. In fact, there are 12 places in Nehemiah where prayer is recorded. Uh, Some of them are written out and they're long ones. Some of them are those arrow prayers and the words are not recorded. And Tom gets to preach on one of them. I think, are you on next week? Tom gets to preach on one of those next week. There's this great little arrow prayer at the start of chapter 2. And we don't get to know what it is. He's standing before the king and, and it just says that he prayed. This book is full of prayer. What kind of prayer is it? Well, it's prayer that begins as prayer should. It begins with praise. God of heaven great and awesome God. It acknowledges who He is. Do you remember uh, Psalm 100? That you enter His gates with thanksgiving. I can see some of you mouthing it. You enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. We've been doing this series in the evening on on worship at the moment, all about how we enter into God's presence. Yes, Jesus has won everything for us, but we enter into his presence 
with thanksgiving and with praise. And that's where Nehemiah starts. He begins with praise. And then he calls on God to remember his covenant. It's interesting here that he calls him the God of heaven. So there's part of Nehemiah that is being fully authentic to who he is, to his tradition, to the Jewish roots that he has. But actually, he's also picked up some things here about the culture. You see, this is the language of the culture that he's in, as well as pointing to the God that he knows. God of heaven. And he calls on God to remember his covenant. He acknowledges that we are people of promise. And that's who we are, aren't we? We're people of the promise, not of the old covenant, but of the new covenant in Jesus. Where he promises to be with us always. So when we pray, we can pray with that confidence that he hears us. But then he goes into confession. And this confession is not third person. It's first person. We have done wrong. We have gone our own way. And then he calls on God to remember. It's a really interesting thing, isn't it? He calls on God to remember how this works. How this works is when the people of God in the Old Testament go astray, God will let them go. He will let them be overrun by others. He will let them be taken into exile. But when they return to him, he will call them back. And Nehemiah calls on God to remember that this is how the covenant works. But then the last bit is he prays for favor. He prays for favor with the king and with the officials. And boy, in the things that we're doing at the moment, we need some favor, don't we, Tom? (laughs) The last thing is this, is that Nehemiah cared enough to serve. He cared enough to put himself in the place where he would bring this before the king. And actually, what happens is it's not a quick process. There's probably about four months between him hearing, weeping, fasting, and praying, and then coming before the king and having the opportunity to speak. What's happened in the gap? I think what's happened in the gap is an awful lot of weeping, and fasting, and praying, and a lot of planning. You know, life is spiritual and practical, and the two are not disconnected. They are one and the same. But he places himself willing to serve, and he ends up going as governor to the area, And he goes and gets the physical job done of the gates and the walls. So Nehemiah cared enough to ask, to weep, to pray, and to serve. At the beginning, 
I asked you to remember something. Excellent. I asked you to remember the chair. You know, you, you prepare these talks and then, and then these kind of, these ideas knock around your head. I, I, I hope that this is helpful for you. What I want you to do this morning is remember the chair. Say it with me. I will remember the chair. You see, this chair has been remarkably well designed. It's been designed for a purpose. Um, If you've never looked at these in a catalogue online or, uh, you know, or, 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 you know, in a conference centre, this is a classic conference chair. Okay? It is light enough to be picked up and moved by a normal human being, probably with back problems. It stacks. It connects together, because it's got a little loop at this end, so that it's legal for a conference where in this country, if you pay for entry, and there's more than a certain number of people, the chairs have got to be physically connected together. I know you didn't know that. What's great is in a church, in a church, you don't have to connect the chairs because it's a gift and you come for free. All right? So when, I mean, it's just a little legal thing that you pick up on the way with doing building project stuff. It's actually relatively comfortable for a mass-produced chair and it doesn't break. This is a really well-designed chair. Someone has taken care for the chair. But none of that's the point. The point is this. Chairs are for people. Chairs are for people. And so as we come to talk about the Rock Project, and we are going to talk about the Rock Project as we look at this book, but I hope and I pray that it's in the context of authentically looking at the Scriptures. What I want you to remember is that chairs are for people. You see, if you invite someone round to your home, you're not going to leave them standing in the hall. You're going to make them a cup of tea or cook them a meal, and then you're going to go and sit in the lounge. In a chair which, if, like us, you have dogs, you will have hoovered first. It's just ordinary, practical things. Or if you sit them at the table, you know, there'll be chairs around the table so that you can sit and that, as people, you can enjoy one another's company. You see, the Rock Project is the same. The Rock Project is not about a building. It's not about an extension or pews or electrics or heating or lighting. It's about people. It's about welcoming people who do not yet know Jesus into this space. It's about witnessing to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. And yes, it is also for worship. A place for people to worship. The Rock Project is for people, so that people can meet with God. 
Now, you might say, um, and there has been a lot of uh, detail work that has been going on. You know, this project has been going on long for since long before I got here. Is it 2012, Tom? Something like that. So, so when, when it was the Rob project. <laughs> There's been an awful lot of prayer over this project. Since its inception and all the way through. There's been an awful lot of planning that has gone on. Meticulously going through things to try and get the design right. Just like this chair. There's been an awful lot of words written and reports done so that we can try and get this thing through the very conservative planning department of Bath. (laughs) Who always want to know lots more information and lots more detail. There's been an awful lot of detail work done to get us to this point. An awful lot of hard work by members of the team. I'm looking at Rachel. I'm looking at Tom. Are there others here this morning or not? I can't see. And, and Pippa. Thank you, Pippa. Just to get us to the point where we hope and we pray that this month, this quarter, this year, we might get planning permission. And I want to honor the team that have been working on this so hard and with so many of the details. But you know, there's some things that go before the Rock Project. And I want you to know this because I've been thinking about this a lot recently. As we emphasize that the Rock Project is for people, for helping to reach people, for welcoming, for witness, and for worship, actually, at All Saints, we've got a good track record. If you look at the church center, which was refurbished uh, in the early 2000s, taking it from a dilapidated old school and then church halls to the wonderful center that we have today. We are going through the accounts at the moment for last year. Over 60,000 pounds worth of rentals to the community, to the NHS. These are paid rentals at the NHS. But we've also done some numbers about how much church use have we had out of it. And of course, we don't charge ourselves. But we've had over £30,000 worth of church use. You see, that building and the rentals mean that we can do those things. It means that we can work with seniors and with toddlers and all of those different things. And of course, we've done that again more recently with an enormous amount of planning and hard work that's gone into this as well, with the refurbishment of the hub that we run as a community asset for community benefit. And last year it had over £40,000 worth of rental. It's become the home for Enrich. It's become the growing base for the community-type outreach work that we're starting to do. And so as we come to the Rock Project... What I want you to do is I want you to remember the chair. I want you to remember that the chair is for people. And that as we go through this year and we continue to work hard at the details, that all of those things have got a purpose. 
They're about people. Introducing people to God. Welcoming, witnessing to the gospel. And a place to worship to. And so my challenge back to you from the word of God is will you be like Nehemiah? Will you be the kind of people that care? Will you care for those that are not yet here? For those that have not yet heard? This is the calling of the church of Jesus Christ. This is why we are here. And the Rock Project is part of that. But will you allow the Holy Spirit, as you follow the way of Jesus, to grow in you a heart for people, for your neighbors, for your friends, for those that you bump into in Tesco's and on the golf course? Let me pray. Father God, stir in us a fresh concern and passion and care for those that do not yet know you. Lord, that everything that we do would give you glory and would lead others into your presence. Lord, stir in us a care for those that don't yet know you. In Jesus' name, amen.